Welcome to Women in Business, the podcast that celebrates the incredible achievements and stories of inspiring women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Erin Buck. I'm thrilled to have you join me on this empowering journey of women in business. Throughout this podcast series, we'll delve into the remarkable achievements, triumphs and challenges faced by women entrepreneurs who have defied the odds and made their mark in the business world. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> right. Okay. So I'm Karen Tor and I'm Karen Tor's Pet and Wildlife Portraits. And basically the clues in the name, that's what I do. Um, so I draw for my living and I have to say... I'm probably the, one of the luckiest people in the world because I draw all day, every day, and I probably draw six days a week. I'd probably draw seven if I could, but there has to be a bit of a cut-off point. I've got the dogs by my feet. I live in the most lovely area for countryside and walks and everything like that. So I am literally living my dream and probably a lot of other people's dreams, you know. It's brilliant it, because, I mean, that's how we sort of got in touch with each other really because yeah. uh, you came up on my Instagram and I I liked it because it was two things I liked art and craft and obviously dogs being my passion <laughs> and I was just amazed and it still amazes me about artists because I do digital art but it's something that's you know you put shapes together and yeah and other people will sort of um Oh, I just can't describe it. I just it just amazes me how they can you can look at something and then it like appears on the paper. It comes through your pencil and it's there on the paper and it looks so real that I just don't know how to do it. For the people that are listening, Karen has uh, two Frenchies, so the heavy breathing is not me or Karen, it's the dog. <laughs> it, or if there's any woofing or barking, that's them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that might be me, but yeah, no, it's them. <laughs> So going back, start at the beginning. Tell me your tell me your story. I like to stop at 2020 because obviously the whole COVID years is a whole subject in itself. So were you always into art at school? Did you follow that path early on? Yes. So from literally from being old enough to pick up a pencil, I was into my drawing. So, you know, I hear stories from my mum of when I was like one and a half, two. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And like we'd go on camping holidays with, with, my, with my grandparents and my nana would proudly display all of my, you know, two-year-old art on the, on the windows of the, you know, of the caravan. Look what my, you know, granddaughter can do. But anyway, so that's where it all started. And my mum's creative. My granddad was creative. Creative yeah. art, were they, were they artists or were they creative in a different way? So mum does pastel portraits. She, she's into that sort of thing. She doesn't, she doesn't do it as a career. She does it as a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, she's always drawn. She's always, you know, even from being a young girl herself, drawn things. And then my granddad, weirdly, used to be a window dresser at Fine Fair. Oh, you won't right. even, you won't I even remember, remember Fine Fair. No, do I, you? Do, I do. Well, I mean, we are going back probably <laughs> 80 years. But um, yeah, so he, so that creativity, I think, comes through the line a little bit. And I both do think my it's kids, genetic. I do think it's genetic. You yeah, do I do the, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. practice makes perfect. And, and I always say that. But, but both my kids have got creative um, juices, shall we say? <laughs> it is. It's like, you, you, I think that people have to have. I, th I do think 
I believe that everything can be learnt to a certain extent, but I do believe that the people that surpass others have already had a little bit of a genetic creative gene in the bones and all that lot and then you work on it so you could have that genetic marker and do nothing with it and then it just stays there stagnant or you've got one that might have some of it but if you work on it it gets stronger if you know what I mean if that makes sense yeah yeah so did you take art at school so yeah I did art pottery textiles and then I went to art college and I did uh, like a graphics design and advertising course. And literally the rest is history. I got uh, my first job in Altrincham for a company called Mustard Design. We are now going back to like older than God kind of time. <laughs> um, but uh, and started off as an office junior. And, uh-huh. you know, it was before it was well before, you know, Apple Max and all that malarkey, you know, we used to do typesetting and letter set, you know, and... No, I don't. What's letter set? So letter set is like, um, it's like letters on sheets of plastic backed stuff and you sort of, you rub it with a, a burnisher and that's how you, and you lay down the, the letter A, for example, or you know, and you use this burnishing tool very old school i mean I we say, are so instead of obviously like we know now on the computer getting an a and putting oh, it yeah. into a position and making it look like that you were actually laying stuff out on a board yeah with a pencil guideline right. honest to god it would and then creating typing like metal little sort of molds it was just bizarre and then the old dark room sort of skills you know and that lovely smell of solution that would follow you all day. But there you go. <laughs> yes, yeah, so... I've never, I've never had the the dark room. My husband's a, an amateur photographer. I think I'd divorce him if we had to have a dark room. There's no room in this house for that. So thank God for digital. But yeah, go on. Yeah. So you started off yeah, there so as an office junior. Started off as an office junior and just kept going and plugging away at it. And probably probably we sort of fast forward 10 years and then I was a graphic designer and illustrator then and I was doing bits and pieces all over the place um and then I decided hmm I need to round myself off a little bit so I thought I know what I'll do I'll go uh, this was just as uh, Apple Max came in so it was probably the one of the worst decisions I made actually but one of the best because I got to see so much. I decided to go backpacking around the world. All right. With two people that I didn't really know. <laughs> what, you just bumped into them and said, oh, you come on a backpack with me? It was three friends that had said, oh, well, my friend wants to go backpacking and my friend wants to go backpacking. And I was like, well, I want to go backpacking. So we all got together and we said, shall we go? And it was like, well, OK, I don't really know you very well, but yeah, come on, let's go. And those three strangers sort of <laughs> got together and went off backpacking around the world. And so it where was did you a, go? Oh, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And one that I will always like hold dear. Mm. You know, it's So when you say around the world, where did you go? Yeah, so we went to STA Travel in Manchester and we booked it all, you know, old school and spoke to a person. <laughs> you know, sat down and worked it all out and worked out flights. And our first flight was over to um, 
oh god where to think then uh let me think oh over to bangkok and this is the kind of mentality and the naivety that i had right backpacking around the world that involves a backpack and very little luggage doesn't it because you're carrying it on your back so i decided to wear a white shell suit <laughs> and take my curling tongs with me and my black leather jacket it was just it was never going to work that was it so it all got sent back home but there you go <laughs> so we went and priorities oh of course so yeah we, we started off in um bangkok in thailand and then we went through the whole of thailand you know phuket and indonesia and kuala lumpur and we saw some amazing things we went to um australia new zealand um america you know san francisco los angeles we even went to bali you know and we were in bali i think christmas time and it was the rainy season no not good but there you go but the the experience was how long were you traveling for it was meant to be for a year but you know when you travel with two other people and three is never a good number i don't think Mm. uh so we were back after three months (laughs) well god you passed you went round it quickly in three months yeah we did we did we did pack it in yeah we did it was it was just said they did it You, you you got out you left you went and saw something of the world yeah, and I did, I did one of my sort of dreams, you know, it was like I'd always wanted to travel and it was really difficult then to get back into like the world of advertising and stuff mm. like that because I came back and it was probably one of the, one certainly one of Britain's worst recessions ever. So I couldn't get back in. I couldn't, really couldn't get back in no matter how hard I tried. So is this like the early 90s? Yeah. Yeah, so I, the the whole advertising industry in that three months when Apple Macs were introduced, it literally flew. It literally flew out of hand, and Apple Macs became the thing. So I had no knowledge of these Apple Macs, and I was trying to get back into a world where Apple Macs were taking over, and the mm. digital world was was just booming, and it was impossible. So I thought, right, what what other skills have I got? Uh, talking to people liking people that was then <laughs> i might add <laughs> uh, and i ended up doing all sorts of jobs i ended up um working for ford cars on reception i ended up working for um just loads and loads of different bizarre little things and then eventually i thought no I've got to sort of have a better thought process behind this. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll think about becoming a public public landlady. And so I did all the courses, did all the did all the exams, passed with flying colours, and got my first pub, which was the Spinner's Arms in Bollington. Oh, right, yeah. You, uh, when I read that you mentioned that you were the landlady there, so how long yeah. were you the landlady? So probably about... About so it was a sort of a ten year process, the, the landladying. <laughs> it was a ten year process, uh, and in that time, I also got the Red Lion in Bollington, and then gave those two up and went to the Robin Hood in Rayner, which was all all my pubs were just a fantastic experience. But 
the Reino one gave me that country life that I'd always craved. Mm. Um, so what a... year did you leave the spinners? We're going back to... I'd say 2000... So I got it in 2004. Right. Because I moved into Something like in 2001. That. Something like that, yeah. So you must have been my landlady when I when I came into the spinner yeah, for a drink with yeah. the ladies. And it was such a shock, you know. <laughs> I was like a rabbit in the headlights. You know, when you think, I seem to have all my life done some really daft things. My mum would just tell you that she's been worried about me from day one. But there you go. Um, just daft things, but what a fulfilled life so yeah, far. You, you know, the great stuff. It's just crazy. But I think that my personality sort of craves that kind of weirdness. I don't know. I don't know. This is So when did you stop doing the landladying at the Robin Hood? I'm gonna say two thousand and ten. Yeah, two thousand and ten it came out. And it wasn't a pleasant experience, the coming out, because basically um life had become very difficult as a, as a landlady and I'm sure throughout the whole of the country all the landladies and landlords were going through the same thing. Uh, the smoking ban had kicked in. Mm. Uh, we'd gone from, I'd gone from £7,000 wet sales to three. All because you think because of the, the lack of people being able to smoke? Absolutely. It was the smoking ban that caused that and then I would say probably the supermarkets were literally grinding us into the ground. So I would be buying in Budweiser's at, you know, punch pub prices uh, that I had to buy in from them because I was tied in. Mm. Uh, and, you know, Tesco's down the road were sort of selling Budweiser's for 33 pence a bottle. Yeah. And I'm not joking with that. You know, it was like, it, I, it was just a... I was fighting fires all the time. Uh, and basically, oh, it, it was incredibly stressful, incredibly. And I was trying to hold this, this massive sort of pub down, which was the Robin, which was, it had, you know, it had letting rooms, it had the dining room, it had the pub side of things. It was a wonderful, lovely pub in a wonderful community area, but not everybody used it. And... I think they still have that problem. I oh, mean, they've got absolutely. they've got an outdoor bit now. That yeah. from Bollington, there's a nice walk from the end that I live in. There's a nice walk up towards mm. the pub, and then you would sit and have a drink with the dogs, and then we'd walk back. Mm. But of course, the weather is so bad; nobody's it's... out walking in the first place. So yeah. it's a nice pub for walkers to come by, but if they're not walking, yeah, and it so really the... is in the middle of nowhere. It's a, yeah. a, a proper little it's... village's carriage. It... It's what you call a destination pub. You know, mm. you're only going to go there if you're actually wanting to go there, you know, and you sort of, you get in your car to drive to it. So yeah. cars and drinking never go, do they? So, you know, it's never, you know, you never mix those two together, do you? So it sort of puts people off unless you can walk across. And just as you say, if the weather's not good, you're not going to get those people going in. But funnily enough, my my friend Karen, the other Karen from Bollington who got, pubs at the same time that I did uh, she's now taken over the Robin and she's doing great things with it you know oh is she yeah she's doing great things with it um she's really pulling it around it's had a lot of a lot of landladies and landlords since I had it 
I know that the community tried to pull together to stop it from closing. Yeah. Um, and try to, I don't like co-run it or whatever, um, because it is such an important part of the community that, you know, it's history and everything, isn't it, really? You don't want it to just yeah. die. Yeah. And the, the locals wouldn't have had anywhere because there's quite a few pubs that sort of died and and left you know the highway man went the, the yeah, georgian dragon so many different things have been there was another one just down the road when it was at the windmill or something no the windmill is somewhere else there was another pub and that's been turned into a house that's down oh, from uh, hood you know i can't even think of the name of it right now but yeah um, a lot of, i mean for people that don't know that uh bollington where me and karen are talking about when i moved here 20 years ago People knew it because it had more pubs per square mile than anywhere. You literally could only walk a few steps and you could name them along the road. You know, it was a brilliant pub crawl when all the pubs were open. But over the years, they've gone. They've been turned yeah. into houses, a Tesco. One of them's a Tesco now. Yeah. Um, there's just only a handful left. So, you know, it, things did change. I think COVID completely yeah. cut off some so that, like you say, the smoking ban first, then prices from supermarkets, and then uh, COVID, it's just yeah. slowly killed them all. So you got out probably at the right time, I suppose. Probably, uh, although I think it's coming round back again a little bit. Well, I mean, when I first got into Bollington, there were 27 pubs. Mm. And you know how small Bollington is. It's only a small, t small little village. I know, uh, we sound like alcoholics, but we're not, honestly. We're very... <laughs> <laughs> they are yeah. they are they all are <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, what a get what a wonderful bunch of characters you know Rayno yeah. and bollington and you know it's just, definitely it's, i moved into bollington i'm originally from the northeast but we found bollington on a whim when we left university my husband needed a job and mm. we'd never heard of bollington and we drove down and we looked around macclesfield and we saw bollington on the map and Lovely. we came in and we lived here for 18 months and then we left to go and moved to America for a bit. And when oh, we did moved, you? Yeah, and then when we moved back to the UK, he was offered a job in Wimslow and it was like, oh my God, I'm going to go back to Bollington and it was the first thing I wanted to do and we waited until we could find a house uh, and then we moved back in and we've been here um, 22 years. Yeah. And I, I'll... If I could move Bollington nearer to the seaside, I'd be really happy. But exactly. I, but I can't. And so I'm quite happy to have the house that I've got in Bollington. Yeah. And it's appeared in the paper many a time about the perfect place to bring up a family. So I'm really happy that I ended up staying in Bollington. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful spot. You know, it really is. It, so when a... you left doing the pubs, where did you go to then? What did you... Right. So that was a bit of an issue leaving the pubs because it all fell apart. It literally unraveled at the seams and lovely uh, punch company, the, the pub company. So that's the brewery. They, the brewery, they were just brutal, literally really? brutal. Yeah. When I was losing everything and I was, you know, on the phone crying and saying, I'm going to lose everything. You know, I had a house that I'd poured all my savings, from that into the pub uh i lost my house i lost my savings and i turned around to punch and i said what can what can you do to help me and they said sell it sell it for a pound and i said are you actually joking sell the pub for a sell the pound yeah sell sell the pub lease for a pound i mean 
you know when you're down on your knees and it was literally the last blow uh, and basically it really was the last blow because I ended up having to go insolvent with those pubs. So uh, they more or less were saying, um, oh, get out, get yeah. out of, get out of the pub, just sell it to somebody else and we'll carry on taking money from them. That's all they wanted to do, bring, get money from landlords and landladies. This has happened throughout the country. I don't have nice things to say about punch, I'm afraid. No, well, if you feel like that. I mean, I've, yeah. uh, I, I don't really know much about the brewery, but yeah, you'd think that they would try and keep, obviously, the money coming in by helping their tenants. Not at all, no. They were, ju they were just, they were literally brutal. They were just brutal. And uh, so I ended up, obviously without choice having to come out of the pub and i just think you know it was a very very stressful probably the most stressful time of my life ever um mm. and it very very nearly broke me in two and i think what happened was i developed a stammer uh um, with from the stress yeah, for, with people that I didn't know, I would end up stammering. And I think it was my body's way of just, well, okay, we're not going to give you a nervous breakdown completely, but we'll do this instead. And, of course, I was trying to find jobs and trying to find work. Didn't know these people, so I was in the interview and I was stammering away and it was just so traumatic. I was going to say, when you've got something that is becoming because of nerves and and the stress and everything, yeah. and then it's highlighted, it's going to be worse, isn't it? So it's making your self-esteem and more stress and everything in this yeah. whole interview situation. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was my self-confidence was on the floor at this point. Um, and I don't know how, where I got my resilience from, really. It was just, I guess, genetics again, I don't know. But uh, we got through it. I mean, I was a single parent, you know, at this point um and trying to you know carve a future for my kids and myself that's what I was trying to do and it was just all I can say in a positive way was well at least I gave it a go I yeah. gave it a go and you, can, you, you don't I tried my best yeah you, you can look back and say you know you don't have regrets you did it um but obviously you know some things don't work out so even though you were feeling low and your self-esteem and everything and you were applying for jobs what took you to doing the drawing? How did that start? Uh, right. Okay. So we. So eventually, I um, after a few other different sorts of things that I did, I ended up working at a care home. Um, uh, for the for this lovely family, it was a family-owned care home, and they were you know lovely people. Uh, it was just it had just been built, so uh, I came in at the very beginning and felt genuinely made to be sort of part of the the build and and how it came about and I was brought in as well I ended up doing I was doing the cooking at one point in the kitchens um but I ended up on reception at the in the end and I was doing events and helping for all things like that and just helping in general but I was on I was sort of on reception on the phone behind the desk so sort of in between phone calls I was doodling uh, and there were plenty of staff there who saw the doodles, <laughs> as you do. What are you doing behind there? Oh, you're drawing a dog. You know, that sort of thing. But um, they then started asking me to draw their pets, which 
I was looking for a creative outlet, so I was just like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that for you. Uh, and then people were asking me to draw their friends' pets or people's pets that they knew. And it ended up that these pictures were going out to Zurich, Denmark, Sweden, Dubai. And I sat back one day and I thought, do you know what? I reckon this has got legs. I reckon I could make a go of this. Um, I think my time is now. You know, jump back on that creative roots, so to speak, and just have a go. And, you know, <laughs> all my life I've had a go. You know, it's one of those things I'm not too sort of afraid of having a go, or I wasn't, but there you go. Um, and very slowly I started to put together this business of drawing people's pets and it was very it was it really in its infant stages and my boss very very kindly lovely lady laura um she ended up letting me um gently transition from um part-time uh, from full-time to part-time uh, until i was stable enough um to go it on my own and um, at this point as well, I will have to mention him, um, I did have my uh, a second husband to fall back on. And, you know, he, he was there financially and he was there as, you know, mental support. Um, yeah, so transitioning slowly and very carefully sort of feeling my way a, a, around of doing this. And then, I mean, we're going back to 2016 when I started doing it full time uh, and there were a few people doing it um, and we've all sort of grown bigger and better as we've gone along and I've, I've gained a lot of artist friends, I've gained an awful lot of photography friends uh, and do you know what, I am living my best life. So how did people, did you get onto Instagram then before COVID? Because obviously I saw you, because I went onto Instagram around about the time I started my business, which was when COVID started. So were you already using Instagram as a platform before So I, sta I started off on Facebook uh, and got a Facebook business page um, and got quite a lot of followers through that. And then this big thing, this big boom. And because it was very visually inspiring and it was all about, you know, those nine little squares that, you know, you the can put grid. the grid. And I was totally enthralled with Instagram, I have to say, because, like I say, it's a very visual app and it was just me. I was all over it and I love it. And to this day, I still love it. And, you know, it's a really, really clever... Stop it. Yeah, so Instagram as a tool is a massive thing for me, personally. So you want it every day? Yes. Yeah, so then, as Instagram has evolved, my my postings on on Instagram have evolved. And, you know, we heard about things like the algorithm. And we didn't even know what that was, did we, at the time? But it's a, believe you me, it's a very real thing. And um, we were then given insights as to things like the best time of the day to post, uh, the best day to post, um, 
the genders that we were trying to reach out to the hashtags the, and things the like hashtags that. the marketing behind it um that's a big thing when people start business and this is what i i talk about it with some of my clients and everything is that you have to become a marketing person you've got no experience of marketing but unless you can afford someone else to do it for you you've got to do it yourself you've got to learn you have yeah you have to put time aside for you to do your own marketing so that you could be visible especially on social media but it can be Absolutely. done and yeah. it can be done for free. That's my big thing. I often say to people, there is Facebook ads and boosts and things like that. Um, and you can use them if you want to go like, I don't know, massive or whatever. But I've managed to advertise my business and have it running for as long as I have purely by using social media. And I've never paid for an advert yet. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, and I could do a boost. I don't think there's anything wrong with a boost, but obviously I don't want to go, I don't want to do Facebook ads because I don't want to go massive, but they're, you know, they, they do work, but it doesn't have to. So if you're a small business or a sole trader like yourself or freelancer or whatever, um, you can make social media really help with your marketing and do it for free if you do it right. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge tool that you have that's accessible to you. It mm. just involves you sitting down and having a little thought process behind how to produce the best the best post that you can um, but and as you say it's free but the, and there are so many hacks to it as well that i found you oh, know yes, loads. there's absolutely my biggest thing though as i would say is instagram works really well for community so if you make friends with people and if you take time to talk which is how our relationship started it i says, started yeah. commenting on your pictures you and you did the right thing you replied back and eventually, obviously, now we're chatting in, in DMs and stuff, but we followed yeah. each other for the, like the last three years. Yeah. This is the first time, I mean, obviously to the listeners, they can't see this, but me and Karen can finally see each other's face. Yes, yeah. we've seen it on Instagram, but we never actually talked in real time. No. But that community helps, you know, people follow and it grows because they go, oh, my friend Karen that I met on Instagram, come and see her artwork. And that's the best part. So the hacks can help you a little bit and can help you, um, you know, yes and no's, and, and they change, and other gurus come along and say, oh, you know, try this hack and everything. But I think the one thing that, ch that has never changed is consistency and community. Absolutely. If you, get them, if you get them two things right, then it can really, really work for you. How did it change in 2020 for you then? Did you Ooh. find it went boom or it went flat? or? Now, there was two sides to 2020. Um, on the personal level, I found the pandemic horrific, yeah. horrific, because we were all inside our own homes. Uh, we weren't out and about, you know, we even were like, we weren't out shopping. And for probably what was it, 18 months, two years? I, yeah. I, I hardly went out. And because I was, you know, in the hills, uh, I wasn't near my, my family. Uh, they were a good hour's drive away and we weren't allowed to see one another. Uh, and, you know, when everybody was doing that clapping thing, you know, mm. on the Thursday night, that was the only time I saw humans. What was it, on the doorstep? On the doorstep. And I remember walking back into my, into my house after, you know, the, the clapping thing and crying because it was like I could see these people 
but I couldn't go and talk to them and I couldn't go and be near them and you know missing that human contact was just it was horrific for me the I was going to say the kind of person the fact to, to be able to be a landlady shows that you're quite extroverted in wanting to talk to people and stuff like that so yeah it, it, I can imagine it was horrendous to yeah. suddenly be locked in your house yeah and just my own thoughts for company which yeah you, know, you never you listen to your to, own thoughts you don't want to be in my head <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to be in their own head <laughs> yeah. but, and, and as well you've got to try and train yourself not to listen to your own negative thoughts at times mm. so how did you so, do that did you channel that into your drawing Yes. So basically, there was an element of, you know, people were so unsure about everything, you know, they stopped, they stopped buying luxury items, which is, that's basically what, what pet portraits are, really, they are a luxury, really. Um, and they just stopped. And so my best business went very quiet. Um, so I, again, I thought, right, I'm gonna have to think outside the box here. So I started drawing my own pieces, um, you know, pulling on my photographer friends for reference photos uh, and trying to think of ways of using those own pieces to create other things to sell. So basically, I'd, I'd say do a picture of um, a fox, for example, and I'd, I'd, sell, I'd sell that. And then I'd use that fox on other things like I'd, my calendars came into being at that point, and th that gave me a fluttering of income then because people were buying the calendars. Okay, cheap and cheerful, but it brought some money in, uh, mm. and it got me through. And I was still, I was still hanging on in there. You know, I, d I got, I got enough commissions to just keep me sort of gently sort of like pattering through the the quagmire of, of the pandemic because you did jigsaws as well didn't you yeah so it was the jigsaws that i did um in fact the jigsaws were a massive help it was it was the jigsaws i think that in a way saved me really you know it brought money in and uh with everybody's been stuck in the house i can imagine that jigsaws came well handy. it was it was jigsaws and you remember coloring books the coloring books had a big boom so right. i did color i did coloring books as well so jigsaws and, and coloring books and it just went it went boom literally so that was fantastic absolutely fantastic um because like i say it just kept me going so where are you going to now with your business and your drawing are you is it staying the same do you have visions of um creating an empire of <laughs> portraits oh no i think my days of dominating the empire are sadly in the, my rear view mirror but there you go um my drawings now have um you, you have to stay you have to be doing something slightly different all of the time otherwise you'll get left behind mm -hmm. so Again, you have to constantly think out of the box and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to post on Instagram and Facebook regularly, you know, daily at least. Um, you're trying to promote yourself that way and do more and more of my own pieces and do that. Fortunately, you know, I'm going to touch some wood here, but um, my commissions have picked up. Um, I'm now 
booked up until November. So I've just got a few Christmas slots left, um, which is a fantastic position to be in right now. Mm. Um, but you have to think, you have to think a little bit further than that because people tend to be doing now tutorials, YouTube's, online teaching, direct one-to-one teachings, and I think in a way that's where I'm going to have to push my side of things i'm going to have to th- you know start to embrace the idea of technology more mm-hmm. um which is scary for me because as i've said my technology abilities are really limited um and i've just got to try and be brave and you know the other thing that you could do is workshops i know a lot of artists that um sort of like high price and do a, a an afternoon workshop with tea and coffee and then do a, a like a small item, and then the people that come get to do make that item. You know, yeah, I've do a re- bit of drawing. Yeah, I have actually been uh, starting to put the feelers out about that. Um, it's one of the things that I'm hoping to try and start to get organised. And I've been looking at, um, at you know places to go and have these events to hold them. And there's one, there's a, like a community centre or something nearby here. And, I know you a know, few here do it in coffee shops. Because I know. The coffee, the coffee shops, they provide the cake and the coffee and obviously and you sort of rent out the coffee shop and then people can buy like more kind of thing. It's sort of like a collab and then you can, you know, advertise each other on Instagram, things like yeah. that. Yeah, um, And there's some sort of, there are some sort of places like that that I could sort of utilise so I'm just putting the feelers out actually at the moment to just see what's out there and maybe do some of these, you know, these workshops. So I've got two questions left. So oh, okay. obviously this is, this is women in business. And I always ask the question, have you ever positively or negatively experienced a situation because of your gender? So we're going to go back to the landlady days. And I don't know whether or not you might, your son might have to edit this. Uh, and I will give you something else to, say, to to put down instead of the what I'm about to say. But we were sort of taught that tits and teeth sell beer. <laughs> I've heard that statement. I have heard that statement. Right. Tits and teeth. Yeah. Now it's a very it's a very much uh, a landlady sell landlord. You know. Get get some get you know some nice looking bar staff and get them behind there smiling and you know it's like a low the Bet Lynch of coronation yeah street, lo- low cut was... top yeah and uh, I remember the days of that actually being a thing you know and I used to always strive to you know we need to we need to have good customer relations but let's not you know demean ourselves you know that's we need to. We don't well, need to I be think that's like... because as well because breweries were quite predominantly male oriented, yeah, ma- male based, weren't they? So they would have an old school males. My um, my uh, my granddad was a German. I don't know much about um, pubs and stuff, um, but he would, you know, that whole. I can re- I still remember barmaids still being expected to to dress like that. It was just the norm, wasn't it? Whereas now. Yeah. It's just like you've got 
thankfully you've got them wearing the same stuff as the, what the barmen are wearing which is yeah rightly so. yeah i mean we wouldn't have expected the men to walk around in uh, speedos serving drinks um that could or, have been an interesting <laughs> or yeah. mankinis or abs out or anything like that we wouldn't you know well i mean there are some bars out there that do have topless men uh, i was and just about like to that. say you could but be not in the spinners yeah except no, for the saturday night <laughs> <laughs> I've just got the visions of the people that live in our village, um, the, of the older generation thinking, no, I don't think him, that, that that those being topless would work or sell beer. I'm so, just, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of, of Mr. Miller, you know, with his pale ale sat in the corner, aged 80, thinking, dear God. <laughs> what the hell's going on here to me, my uncle yeah. Bob? Yeah. I think that's the, probably the, the biggest thing in all of the interviews that i've had that you've mentioned there because i do remember the tits and teeth for barmaids and thinking it was just normal that's just what it is but you're right it was a decision by men to as barbie would say objectify the woman to entice them to get people to buy more beer and everything yeah yeah so and you're right it's demeaning it's demeaning it, it is men so what advice would you have for any younger woman that has gone through any of your experiences or is an artist that wants to start selling their art like you have done? Just um, keep going is all I would say. And don't be afraid to embrace, embrace something different. You know, if something sort of gets thrown in your face and have a go at this, just don't say no. Mm. Just keep keep the whole positive attitude and as scary as that might be you know just keep saying yes be a yes person for once be a positive person and just keep going baby steps just and practice 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 and more practice um get to know your craft get to know the the pitfalls get to know the good side of things and know that it will all it will all come right in the end. It will. Well, thank you for talking to me today, Karen. It's been really, really interesting. Yeah, thank you too. Thank you so much too. It's been this has been me stepping out of my comfort zone because you know this technical side of things. It's you know a little dipping my toe in the. Uh, well, we're going to have to get out there now because when this goes out, we'll have to say, look, there's a lady here that wants to do more podcasts. She's had quite a life story. Oh, dear come God. And, come and have some chats. But it's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed.